What's up? This is Brandon London, and you're listening to the Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast. You hear that? The Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast. Let's go Giants. Good evening and welcome back, Giants fans, to the latest edition of the Big Blue UK and Ireland podcast. Uh, this week, or this evening, should I say, because it's the second time this week, uh, we are 67% British, 33% Irish, and but still absolutely 100% Giants. Shane's not with us again, unfortunately, but I'm joined again by Kev and producer Craig. Like I said, for the second time this week, it's a little bonus episode for you. Well, I suppose the bonus was on Monday, but... Hey ho, there we go. We're training camp full steam ahead. Two episodes a week. Who can complain, eh? We've got a very special guest joining us any minute to hopefully give us a little bit of an insight behind the scenes of how 2023's roster is shaping up. Lads, how are we doing? Yeah, good. I mean, second episode of the week, fantastic. I mean, there's been a lot going on with the training camp and I don't want to tempt fate or anything, but just we're hearing such great things coming out of this year's training camp. Um, you know, some players with struggles, some players really excelling. Um, very excited to talk to Art about, um, you know, what's been going on. And, uh, yeah, it's a good time to be a Giants fan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the morale around the place seems to be quite high. And uh, it's nice to see Giants Twitter not absolutely having a meltdown yet. So um, that's always always a plus this time of year. So um, I think all we now need to do is uh, invite the main man himself into the stream. We'll, we'll give him Absolutely. his spotlight. We don't need Dan in there. And, uh, no, we and don't we'll need him <laughs> Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, guys. What's going on? How are we doing? All good, thanks. How are you? Doing uh, doing okay. A nice off day for, uh, for the Giants here. They've been going uh, three days on, one day off. So we'll see uh, how this affects them in a couple weeks, physically, mentally, uh, but... They definitely have stuck to this schedule so far, and it's nice to get a little breather every now and then. Yeah, for sure, I can imagine. I mean, you guys must be full on this time of year, so I bet it's nice to have a, a day off just to be able to get things done that you need to do and catch up with a few things and just have a little bit of downtime as well to join the UK's only Giants Focus podcast, right? Hey, of course. Why not? Worldwide, right? Might as well go worldwide. I have found the um, the, the training um, interesting because they haven't they been doing two two days and then one evening practice and then having a day off. Yeah, they're uh, they're trying to be concerned with you know the sports science and no one needs to tell Giants fans about injuries and preventing injuries over the last couple of years. So I think that's certainly part of this, and I think Brian Dable has shown that you know he's willing to adjust. He's willing to talk to. Uh, the medical side, but he also talks to the players. And I think that's a big thing here is that he's gotten a lot of input from his players about how they feel, how they should handle this. They've looked back on what they've done in the past and they've been willing to adjust based on what the players have told them. So I think that's a good sign for Dable. Uh, you know, always talk about players, coaches, but this time of year, some coaches can be very rigid. 
I think he's the opposite. He's willing to adjust, and I think they're hoping that that pays dividends uh, in terms of their overall health once the season begins. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we we all know how much we've struggled with injuries, so I'm sure like changing up and listening to people, listening to what the, the coaches are saying, listening to what the players are saying, listening to what the medical staff are saying, you know, Trying to do something different is uh, is definitely a good idea, and also as well, no doubt it's a bit cooler in the evenings as well. So there's, it's pretty hot over there at the moment, I know. So having a having a, a session in the evening is probably uh, not so physically demanding on the body. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it too. Although the other night uh, it was pretty hot <laughs> when they when they practiced that night. Uh, one of the hottest practices that they've had have been the uh, wow. the five to seven Eastern time here. Uh, because uh, where the Giants practice facility is situated really in the shadow of MetLife Stadium, but there aren't many shadows in that parking lot. And it's really a high sun uh, between that five to seven hour, you know, range here. So uh, it's interesting. You would think, you know, it gets cooler weather wise, but as far as the sun goes, uh, it's really up above and, and there is no, uh, no shade for, for the field. So, uh, don't really think of that. You know, you'd go to practice and you'd think, oh, it's at night. You know, it'd be kind of cool. But uh, last night was unexpectedly warmer uh, than, you know, a couple days ago when it was during the day. And, and the breeze off of the Meadowlands over there in MetLife uh, really, you know, really cools it off just a, just a tad. And, and that tends to help. Yeah, any any breeze, even a warm breeze can help. So, you know. I suppose with the that time of day, five to seven, that is yeah. kind of it's a, it's a pretty hot time of day still. So I can I can understand that for sure. Um, you, we know you're a busy man, so obviously we really appreciate that you taking some time out your schedule, especially on your day off to to chat with us. <laughs> um, are you looking forward to being the one that's grilled and answers some questions for once, rather than you asking the questions? Sure, go ahead. I'm I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Nice, nice. Cool. Um, so we are going to kick things off um, talking a little bit about you and your background, sort of as the, as the norm for our podcast when we have a guest on. Um, so our listeners and viewers sort of get an idea of um, how it started for you. So what was it that led you to pursue a career in journalism? You know, when I went to college here, uh, I went to University of Massachusetts and I worked for the school paper there. Uh, we had a very good college basketball team my four years there back in the early 90s uh and i'm sure fans will have heard of john calipari he was the coach at umass at the time now at kentucky and another big blue uh but i fell in love with sports writing and i did a lot of journalism in college and i th always thought i would be a college basketball writer just because the way we you know you develop the team wins at college and you think you're going to be uh, you're going to be covering that sport. And I came back home to New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey shadow about about 15 minutes outside of New York city is where I grew up and where I was raised. And uh, I ended up trying to get a full-time job out of college. I had my degree and all I could get was a part-time job covering high school sports for about a year and a half. Uh, and then I ended up getting my first break to get a full-time uh, sports writing job in New York City, well, the outside in New Jersey. And uh, I ended up covering high school sports and loved it and treated it as if it were 
the pros that every game was the Super Bowl and I honed my craft and try to get better every day. And it, it took me a while from, I guess, 97 to 2009 before I, uh, I was the local sports columnist there for, for us for a while in North Jersey. High school football was huge in our area. Uh, and then I ended up moving on to the pro side. I was part of our coverage team in 09 and 10. And then when the Giants made the run to the Super Bowl, uh, it was myself and our beat writer kind of as a beat writer columnist uh, position. And we followed them all the way to the Super Bowl. And then I took over as our lead guy covering the Giants the following year. My first big event after the Super Bowl as the lone beat writer was going to the White House uh, with the Giants and Tom Coughlin and uh, Barack Obama making fun of uh, Justin Tuck's love for Phil Collins in the air tonight before games. Uh, so that's kind of been that. And uh, it's amazing. It's my, my 14th training camp in my career. And it feels like I just started a couple of years ago. So I'm one of the, one of the old heads now. And uh, you know, I certainly appreciate the opportunity that I have and I'm still kind of pitching myself that I'm, I've been doing this this long and um, you know, have that institutional knowledge that is very hard to obtain. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously put, I mean, a hell of a lot of hard work and dedication and time and effort into honing your craft and, and getting to the point where you are now. I mean, as 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 fans, the three of us, I mean, we we read your your articles and your pieces regularly. Uh, we listen to your podcasts, and so I think you can you can tell when you've you've put a lot of hard work and, and dedication into a job, and you clearly have the passion for it, which is um, which is quite nice as well. So. You know, it's it's a pleasure reading your work. It's a pleasure listening to your work, so, and it's it's a pleasure having you on with us as well. I appreciate that, and you know, I, I I never believe, like you mentioned, I had a podcast. I have a podcast, but I always thought the best thing about podcasts is we all help each other. You know, there really isn't much competition with podcasts. If anything, uh, the more the merrier, because uh, I think there are a lot of fans out there who kind of you have your favorite flavors that you want to listen to, but I think there are a lot of ravenous giants fans especially that want to listen and watch everything they can get their eyes and ears on so uh you know this is great to have me on so i really appreciate it you're welcome man um so with the giants then um obviously being a jersey native were you a fan prior to covering him i was not i was not a giants fan growing up uh i you know rooted for another team in the nfl but uh i I think I, I like to say to people that, um, you know, when you, when you grow up, you know, you you have one type of passion for the team and then you start covering the teams and you root for the stories, you know, you root for the people that you cover. Uh, it's not that you don't want to be critical. It's not that you want to stand there with pom-poms, but you certainly want to write the better stories. I mean, there's no better story to write than a team uh, winning, you know, you cover a winning Super Bowl, which I had the opportunity to do in 2011, and those memories stick with you. Um, but I will say, as an aside, uh, I did marry into a Giants family of, you know, my brother-in-law had season tickets. Uh, my wife is a huge Giants fan. My father-in-law is a, is a huge Giants fan. Uh, now my nephews, who are uh, late teens, they are Giants fans. So it's um, it's one of those things where it's come full circle. Uh, the fact that 
they can be as close as they are to the Giants. Uh, actually had the opportunity to bring my father-in-law and brother-in-law to the Super Bowl in Indianapolis in 2011. Oh, yeah. um, so there's a lot of a lot of familial connections for me uh, covering the Giants and getting to know people. And when you do it this long, you kind of be immersed in a team. And, you know, like I said, it, it's been a long time since I actually rooted for a team but I'd be lying to you if I told you that I wasn't happy uh, if people I covered and teams I covered didn't win. Uh, covering a winning team is a heck of a lot better than covering a losing team. Uh, and we've had enough of losing teams, or at least I have, for the last decade or so. Went from Super Bowl oh, yeah. to, uh, you know, to really in the tank. So it's nice to, to cover a playoff team and a team with as much uh, expectations as this Giants team does going forward. I mean – we all like we all much prefer it when the, when the Giants are winning. I mean, our our first year on this podcast, the Giants had a. I mean, it was obviously the last year under Joey Judge and Dave Gettleman, and it was a an awful year. And there was there wasn't many high points going into last year's sort of first year of uh, with Coach Dable and Joe Shane. We had so many high points throughout last year; it was unbelievable. And just just that shift in that space in the space of a, a year is uh, was. It was it was it was an absolute joy covering the season last year. So um, long may it continue. Hopefully, it continues on this season as well. Um, so you you clearly obviously enjoy um, covering the Giants through through good times. But what's it like covering them through bad times when it, when the team aren't so successful? It's challenging, but we got a lot of experience figuring out how to do it. Uh, you know, it, it becomes about the off season as much as it is about the regular season. You know, the last three head coaches that I've covered since Tom Coughlin uh, exited have lo have lost their jobs either during the second season or after their second season as head coach. Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, and then Joe Judge. Um, I don't think anyone expected McAdoo's tenure to end the way it did. I think Shermer was a little bit of a different story. I think he was kind of a placeholder. Uh, that old adult in the room adage that uh, Dave Gettleman kind of used. Uh, I think Pat Shermer was kind of put in a very difficult situation and uh, they kind of used him for, for what they wanted to, to get this team out of the, you know, at least what they believed was turmoil from the McAdoo days. And uh, then they brought Joe judge in as a CEO. And unfortunately uh, the second season for judge when things did not go well, uh, I think, you know, he uh, he acted out, I guess you would say, and responded. And I think he handled things probably a little bit uh, poorly than what he would have said or a lot poorly in some instances. So it's challenging. You know, you get to know players and you want to see them win. You want to see them do well. And you see the pain in their eyes when you talk to them in the locker room. Uh, you know, Evan Ingram is a perfect example, you know, Giants made the playoffs in 2016. He gets drafted in 17 and his entire tenure at the Giants, he was a punching bag. Now some of it through his own flaws in his game or struggles or problems in, in the coaching staff of how to use him. But the reality is, you know, you feel for guys when you get to know them and, you know, that's the personal side of this that you, you try to appreciate when you're covering a team that's losing you know, it's their jobs on the line. I mean, it literally is their jobs on the line. Even the first round picks have to deal with 
what happens next? What happens? Where, where do I go after my contract is up? Uh, because it's that difficult, that challenging. So um, to cover a losing team, it, it's, it's challenging on everybody. But the off season is when the fans are really excited. And it truly becomes a 12-month-a-year job. It is already. But when, it, when the offseason carries more weight, the draft, the combine, everything carries more weight than what they did for half the regular season, it definitely is a, um, a scramble mentally to be able to figure out what the fans want to read about, uh, what the fans want to talk about. Uh, and I think that's got, got good experience. I think I have a handle on it now, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this point. I, I, I think I'm, I'm good with trying to figure out what it's like to cover a winning team again. Uh, I'm, I'm good with that. If, if Joe Shane and Brian Dable want to keep going forward and, and winning some more games, that's good with me too. I mean, it's, it's absolutely good with the rest of us as well. Like they can carry <laughs> on. They've got, they've got the recipes, recipe for success. So, uh, you know, they can carry on winning. They can carry on having winning records. Um, but I, the, you mentioned about obviously Evan Engram, um, Obviously, his whole tenure with the Giants was as a, you know, a li- almost a little bit of a, a scapegoat, maybe. But I think we we kind of forget sometimes that these are people, these are human beings. Like you said, their job is on the line. We look at them from sort of outside in, and we look at them as they're not performing. Their players, they're you know, they they're getting paid millions and millions of dollars. They should be performing week in week out. But I kind of think sometimes we forget they are they're human. That you know, no, nobody's perfect. So you make some really valid points there, and I think you know when you when you make that bond with people, and then you see them on these days where they they've not performed up to the the expectation, or they've not you know had a great season, and you see the emotion in their face and in their body language. I think you know it's it's definitely something to to think about moving forward. As you know, we can be we're lucky that we have a, a winning team at the moment, and but we can also remember what it's like to have a a losing team in the past. That's for sure. Yeah, it it beats you down. It really does. It beats everyone down, you know, as a fan base, as the media who cover the team, as the team in the building. You know, you, you don't get that sense until you're actually in the facility of how everything is intertwined. All the different departments, the business department, the cafeteria, you know, you work for this team. And if you go home and all you hear about from friends and people you run into is, oh, you work from the Giants? Oh, they stink. You know, yeah. you don't, you know, the the chefs in the cafeteria don't have anything to do on the football side, but they wear that pain too. They wear that anguish. You know, they wear that embarrassment at times. And I think uh, it's definitely, you know, it's that institutional knowledge I mentioned earlier that when you cover this long enough, you know, you truly have an appreciation for everyone that's involved in this whole thing. Uh, and, and that's why it was interesting when Brian Dable, when he was hired a year ago or a year and a half ago at this point uh, with Joe Shane, you know, he stood up in front of people who worked in the organization in the auditorium, not as players, but stood up and said, you know, call me Dabes. You know, I, I want you to come to my office. I, I want to answer your concerns. I want you to feel a part of what we're doing here. And some coaches say it, but then when the monotony of the season rolls around and you've got so many fires to put out, you don't really carry that through. And I think Dable has done a good job uh, himself, his personality, 
making everyone in the building feel like they're a part of what they have going on right now. And that's a credit to Shane and a credit to Dable, uh, but also John Mara, who is in that building every day. You know, he takes a lot of heat from this fan base and, you know, some is warranted uh, and he'll wear that, you know, and he'll say, look, I, I understand, we, you know, the mistakes we've made. Um, you know, that doesn't excuse the mistakes, but it's certainly you appreciate the accountability. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, John Mara being in that building every day, I mean, that's his job. He's working in the building. And I don't think the, the average fan truly appreciates that. Uh, they think of, well, if Mara's involved or Mara's there, that it, he's going to be meddling. Uh, no, he, he's the team president. He's in that building. He's got an office. He just doesn't have an office on game days. He's the one who comes to the building every day, drives, parks his car out in front. He's not taking limos or Ubers to the, to the facility. That's his workplace. And I think, um, you know, sometimes that's lost on, on all of us if we're not close enough to the situation to truly appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, even just, just hearing that about uh, John Mara is kind of, you, you do it, you appreciate that. You appreciate that he, he turns up in his own car every day and, and comes to work. He doesn't just sort of sit at home and get people to do his work for him. So that's that's quite a nice side of that of him to see there. All right, last one from me. So you get the opportunity to to drop breaking news stories uh, on social media and in your columns and things like that. And we know you probably won't be able to answer in a huge amount of detail, but how did you get wind of stories um, and do you have sort of like rules that you have to follow regarding sort of timing and content that you, you're going to be uh, posting? Uh, that's, that's a great question because it's really evolved over the years because you meet so many different people at so many different levels. And obviously with social media, we all hear the term sources, the idea that someone has sources and everything is per sources. And then there's speculation as to who those sources are. Um, and what I've learned through the years is that, you know, yes, you have your level of sources, but I always get a kick out of the idea that someone says a, a well-placed source, as opposed to the one that you don't really trust, but you're going to put it out there anyway. You know, that's kind of, uh, you know, one of those things where you, you, you look at it and you go, well, if you don't really trust that source, why are you putting that information out there? Uh, I'll give you guys an example that just happened to me 24 hours ago. Uh, I got a text message from a number that I did not re recognize. And I won't say the player's name, but somebody told me it was a, a text that said, this player is going to work out for the Giants tomorrow. And when I looked at the name, it's a well-known well, well -known name, I would say, in, in the league that's a free agent right now. And I looked at it, and I kind of looked at it crooked because, number one, I don't know who this person is that's sending me the text. So my next response was I had two responses. One, I responded to that text by saying, who is this? I don't have this number in my phone, so I apologize. And then I reached out to some of my sources within the team and, and league-wide to ask, hey, is there any validity to this? And the message I got back from the mystery text was that, oh, this is this player's agent. And... I looked at it and I kind of thought it was a little weird because agents don't cold text people. You know, you hear of cold calls, they don't cold text. And when I got heard back from a well-placed source at the Giants, they basically told me, do not report that. That is not true. I don't know who's giving you that information, but that is wrong. So 
there are a lot of things, and I did not report it. I didn't tweet it. I didn't speculate. And, you know, if that comes about, I would trust that my source that I talked to within the Giants would say, hey, listen, things have changed. This really happened. So I don't know who that person was, that the mystery texter that reached out to me. Uh, but all I know is I changed, I, I put that into my phone as fake. And I put the agent's name down knowing that, you know, someone's trying to pull a fast one. And if it's the real agent, uh, then that person is trying to create some sort of story uh, for his client uh, and it didn't happen. So long-winded answer as far as the breaking news stuff goes, but you have to be very careful, at least I do, through the years. Uh, and I've gotten burned from legitimate sources in the past, you know, free agency being used by an agent saying the Giants are a leader in, in, you know, in the sweepstakes on a Sunday night. And then Monday morning I woke up and that player was signing with the team and clearly the agent planted that news and made essentially had me write the story to scare the team that ended up signing him. So he got a little money out of it. Uh, and that's kind of how that stuff works sometimes. Uh, but most now there are a lot of people in the breaking news realm uh, who consider uh, Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport, uh, some of the other guys, Mike Garofolo, obviously who I have a lot of respect for a good friend of mine uh, and you know, others nationally that agents and people in the team just consider them as a wire service at this point, you know, and it's, well, we tell Schefter and it'll go to, you know, however many followers he has 5 million or whatever it is. And, and we cover ourselves, you know, an agent, that, an agent, most agents do not want to sit there and text 12 beat writers back to let them know this guy is signing. This guy isn't signing. This is what we what we got. So a lot of it is relationship based. Uh, but I do think it, it, as I said, the evolution of it, uh, has gotten to the point where you have to know who you trust. You have to pick your spots. Uh, and you know, again, you have to know who you're trusting because the same people who are giving you information need to trust you too. So if I was running out and reporting every little thing that I've heard, I've got to know what to keep on background to be able to use at a later date. And also, what information that needs to get out there right away because people I talk to people, I need to respect me and talk to me are watching what I'm tweeting, watching what I'm writing and watching what I'm saying and listening to what I'm saying on my podcast. So there are people out there. Uh, you may not know they're out there and I'm not talking about the guys, you know, the people who you hear about create uh, burner accounts on social media, not that, I mean, there are people, there are executives whose jobs are essentially to follow, you know, beat writers, find out what's being said about the team. They're not doing it uh, to be, you know, mysterious and secretive and, you know, try to reach out and blackball a reporter. But if a reporter is posting something on social media, the team wants somebody to know about it and to, to verify it, to say, look, is this right? Is this wrong? What, what context could we give uh, to this? So... That's kind of how it's happened. The breaking news is not easy. Uh, I don't consider myself a news breaker, so to speak. Uh, I just report the information that that I can get with context, and um, you know, it served me well at, at some times, and at other times, it puts you in chase mode where you need to to follow uh, the people who have uh, have either better context, better information, or they're 
well-placed sources choose to go that direction rather than <laughs> reaching out to me. That's a, um, that's a pretty comprehensive answer to uh, Shane's question. I mean, yeah. and I'm sure he's going to be over the moon with that. So, uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> um, I'm going to move on to um, just some general stuff and some off-season stuff. So um, the trade of Darren Waller seems to sort of come out of nowhere. What was the sort of reaction when you first got wind of that? Did, did that did that really come out of nowhere to you guys as much as it did to us? You know, I thought Joe Shane was going to be creative this offseason. I thought he would be looking for opportunities to improve the passing game, the weapons that they had uh, via trade. And there was so much attention on guys like T Higgins and Brandon Ayuk with the 49ers that, uh, you know, maybe these guys who were going to be up for bigger contracts eventually that their current teams wouldn't be able to pay them. And then they would be able to be pried away uh, for a, an early round pick. You know, maybe you throw a first round pick or a second round pick to go get T Higgins from the Bengals. Uh, but that was kind of on, on the surface. And I think underneath the surface, I think the Giants did a very good job of using their uh, their pro scouts and digging in on guys who might have needed a change of scenery. You know, you look at what happened in Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels in year one. It was a complete disappointment. And that's probably putting it kindly. You know, they ended up getting rid of Derek Carr. Uh, the way the season ended, uh, there had been rumors a year prior that they were looking to trade Darren Waller and they became unfounded. So that day, that specific day that Waller was traded here, uh, yes, it, it took me off guard. I was surprised. Uh, I did not know uh, that they had been talking Waller for a while. Uh, but when you put all the pieces together, that was the exact kind of move that Joe Shane could have taken from a strategic standpoint that you already have, you have the contract in place. You can uh, rework the contract a little bit. It He's at the top level of a position that you consider a premium position. He's not just a tight end uh, in tight end form. Uh, and I think if they looked at it and said, what are the injury situations? And if they dug deep on that uh, it, it's, pretty obvious that his injuries were uh, soft tissue based, a lot of them. And even when he was healthy on the field, he was still the game breaker. You know, that's the difference. If you look at Kenny Galladay, the Giants, when they signed Kenny Galladay, did not have uh, the blueprint, the tape on Kenny Galladay following that hip injury. And it ended up really when they got Galladay on the field, uh, you can see that he wasn't the same player. Darren Waller is the opposite. Darren Waller uh, physically is just, I mean, he really does look like a varsity high school player playing with guy, kids in the seventh grade. I mean, it's he's been outstanding this summer. So um, was I surprised with Waller? Yes. Uh, but it's the kind of move that I think this front office uh, showed that it needed to make to make that leap in the passing game in year two. So, so kind of carrying on from that that vein with the speaking about the front office, um, we're now going into year two with with Shane and Dable. What's it like having to build a, a rapport with a new staff and getting them to open up to you? Is it relatively easy, and does it kind of depend on on who it is? 
Yeah, I think I think it does depend on on who it is. Uh, I, I do think it's 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 easy when you've been around and you've established a, a reputation uh, within the building. You know, guys who say they come in with clean slates, of course they come in with clean slates. But uh, you know, it's like with anything, you want to get a sense of who you're going to be dealing with. So, you know, I, I don't think Joe Shane and Brian Dable were handed a um, a dossier with, you know, pages and pages of here's this reporter, here's that reporter, here's this reporter. But I like to think that there's some sort of, you know, starting ground based on people who are inside the building, you know, who do you trust, who you don't trust. I mean, they wouldn't be doing their job as giants, you know, whether it's PR or people in the front office or people who remained with the organization, if they didn't at least give them some information when it came down to it. Uh, and I think, you know, for the same way that Joe Shane and Brian Dable say they just want to be themselves. To me, that's the best way to build a relationship is, is be myself. Just trust what I've learned through the years. Always remember the mistakes that I've made. Uh, know that I can't assume that if I'm building rapport with someone in the building, that that person doesn't have a rapport with eight other people that are doing my job. So I think that's the, that's probably the biggest key is that what I've learned uh, through these multiple coaching regimes and people in the front office and the way things work is that I have to assume that if I'm speaking to somebody off the record, they might be giving that same information to one, two, three other people. There's nothing better guys or nothing worse than to know that someone you've spoken to off the record has used the same phrasing that ends up in another reporter's tweet or story that is, you know, an anonymous source. So that's when the, the person itself, whether the person is a coach or a front office person, they get themselves in trouble if they use the same crutch uh, as far as phrasing goes. Uh, and that's when you know who you can trust and, and who you can't uh, because that with all the talking that goes on, um, you kind of have to study your, your opponents, so to speak. And, um, in our job, you have to do a lot of studying of people you're competing against and seeing what they're writing. And a lot of it is out of respect. You want to respect who you're covering. Uh, but I think, uh, ultimately to build that trust with the front office, the coaching staff, you just got to be yourself. You know, you can't always go to them with your hand open saying, okay, what are you going to give me today? Some guys do. And so, and that pays off for some reporters. Some reporters want to be the enemy, you know, fear the enemy rather than fear your friend or, or be, be friendly with your friend. And that works for some people. Um, I, I want to build a trust with, with guys that they know they can talk to me. Uh, they know they can give me context and perspective and uh, you know, I'm not going to burn you. I'm going to be critical. Uh, I like to think that I shoot it, straight but ultimately uh i think you know there's a trust here that you know i'm not going to hide things for you uh but i will protect it knowing that you know if it's something that you don't want to get out uh and it's if it, if it doesn't have news value to me then i will not burn burn you because ultimately you will come back uh to help me in another story um that i you know it's not worth sometimes it's not worth the little things because then you spite yourself on the big things. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
I'm going to go off record here, um, Art, but, um, or off off the topic. But I could literally listen to you just talk all day about this kind of stuff. <laughs> this is, uh, and this is the kind of insight that um, maybe from uh, giant for for Giants fans over here, we just don't tend to get because we we're obviously in a different time zone, and a lot of the stuff that breaks is is when we're either asleep or on on awake, and obviously we stay up for matches and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting to get the sort of real insight that maybe we don't get by being able to go to East Rutherford as, as often as maybe some of the people in America do. So, um, and now I've got a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> Barkley dominated the storylines prior to the start of training camp for obvious reasons. Um, how, how do you reckon the running backs are going to bring back value to their position? And, and do you have any idea how this might play out last season, uh, play out next season? Sorry. You know, I don't know how they bring back uh, the value uh, financially to the position. I think it's it's a very difficult situation. And I almost look at it, and I said this throughout the negotiations, is that there's been a market correction, right? I mean, interior defensive linemen are getting paid more than they ever have. We saw what happened at the position. It's not just Aaron Donald. You know, Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, Quinnen Williams – uh, Darren Payne, um, and I'm sure there are guys that I've forgotten to this point, are all getting paid a ton of money. You know, corners, the value has gone up. Wide receivers are getting paid that more than, than they ever have. Um, you know, outside linebackers are now edge guys, so they're getting paid. Not only left tackle, but right tackle is now getting paid almost to the level of left tackles because of the way, you know, people realize – you know, Von Miller is rushing the passer and he's going against the right tackle. So now all of a sudden you need to pour money into that position. Uh, centers are getting paid more now because they've got to go against the interior defensive linemen that we just talked about. So I think there's a course correction a little bit and the league uh, in a sense is penalizing running backs, inside linebackers, off ball linebackers and safeties. I mean, they really are. If you look at the the franchise tags, this isn't somebody that's just making up numbers. They're taking the top five values of the highest contracts at that position. So there's a reason why the running back is at $10.1 million for a franchise tag. It's not based on Joe Shane just coming up with a number. It's the league saying this is the value based on the contracts that are out there. And that's the it's almost an impossibility to change if you're not going to take money away from another position. And then you look at people compare quarterbacks. You can't compare quarterbacks. It's in a different world. It's almost like they play a different sport financially. And, um, you know, in terms of Saquon Barkley and how this will play out with the Giants, um, you know, look, if he wants to be here, I think they'll end up paying – they'd be willing to pay him the salary or similar to the salary that they're playing – paying him this year if the team takes a step forward for next year uh, and he is still a big part of it and he's healthy i could see them offering a little bit more you know uh, do they go up to 15 million dollars a year I, I i don't see that uh but I, I think they would reward him if the team is winning and he's still a big part of it next year i think there would be a chance that they would give him a better con- a bigger contract than what they did this year even though they have the franchise tag to use Um, but we know this league and, you know, guys that, you know, you love and you're popular players, 
the ones they start showing invincibility or vincibility, I should say, that, that they're not invincible, um, I think that's when you have to start worrying where they are uh, as players. So I think Saquon's poised to have a good year. I think uh, the passing game, if they attack downfield, I think Saquon that will make Saquon even more effective uh, in terms of the speed that they could send vertically and crossing routes. Um, but uh, I don't know if Joe Shane is all of a sudden going to say, you know, we're going to give Saquon $16 million a year uh, and our bad the year before we got you Saquon. I don't think they're going to do that. And I feel bad for Saquon uh, personally, professionally, if you just consider his value to the team, yes, he, he deserves the contract that he's asking for value to the team on and off the field. There's no player that's been cheered on more than fans at the giants at training camp. I mean, kids love him. Adults love him. The ownership loves him. Uh, but, you know, Joe Shane has a job to do. And sometimes that job is difficult. And I think um, as much as you want to keep the personal into it, I think they, you know, they, they took the personal out of it. And I think that hurts a guy like Saquon, who as talented as he is and productive as he is on the field, his personality jacks up his value that much more. And if you take that personal out of it, now all of a sudden you're just looking at raw numbers and the position, and I think that's kind of where he gets hurt uh, in this whole negotiating factor is that people want to look at it and say how talented of a running back he is, but he wants people to look at him as what he means to the Giants. And I think in Joe Shane's job, in his world, especially when you're trying to win, you don't want to overextend yourself. Unfortunately, Saquon was the odd man out in a year where – their current players got big contracts. Uh, and I, I don't know if that changes uh, moving forward because I think Shane believes uh, in what he's doing. And I think he set a value and he stuck to it. And unfortunately for Saquon, uh, that's kind of how things played out. Well, speaking of big, big contracts, um, Daniel Jones obviously is going to have a, a lot of eyes on him this year due to, due to the numbers. Um, and already seems to be being buried by every uh, internal person from every other team. Um, no kidding. <laughs> he has a reputation for being calm and, and in the market that he's in doing really well. But we saw a couple of frustrations from him last year when we weren't securing the football. Do you think with the money he will change anything? Do you think he needs to become more of a commanding figure as the spearhead of, of the franchise now? I think he will become more of a commanding figure. I think we've seen it already in training camp. He's seems to be playing with a different level of confidence, knowing that he now has essentially two years. I mean, look, we know the contract that they gave. We know the overall number, the $160 million. But for all intents and purposes, if Daniel were to get hurt within the next two years, if his play falls off a cliff, uh, the Giants could get out of that contract you know, they'll have to pay for it on the back end a little bit and dead money to the salary cap, but they, they could get out of that contract. So it's a strong two-year deal for Daniel. Um, I, I've asked myself this, guys, and I'm writing a column next week going into Detroit because that's kind of taken it to the national stage a little bit uh, for him, and at least in the summer. And, you know, what does Daniel Jones have to do to get respect from people, to stop being their punching bag? You know, because you talk to anyone internally, anyone who knows Daniel Jones, 
Daniel Jones is respected by his teammates. It's been from day one that he walked into this building. He is a hard worker. He doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> you know, he, he's a nice guy. You know, maybe he's too boring for some people. But the reality is, is that why does he receive so much hate? And becomes, like I said, the punching line for the punching bag or a punchline for the running back story. You know, the idea of, you know, saying that, well, you know, they paid the wrong guy. They paid Daniel Jones and didn't pay Saquon Barkley. That makes no sense. You know, the quarterback is going to command a higher salary and study a little bit of the situation that they were under. I mean, if, if Daniel Jones was forced to have the franchise tag, who knows if Saquon Barkley would be on this team right now? You know, because he would have hit the market and maybe somebody would have said, hey, let's let's give Saquon a couple extra million and force the Giants uh, to let him walk, uh, which could have happened. Or the Giants would have for- been forced to raise their offer. Um, I, I think Daniel Jones is, a, is a, a good quarterback in this league. I think he's gotten to the point where he's gotten the right coaching within the last year or so. They have the right scheme. They know how to put pieces within an offense. Uh, and you know, look, I, I'm not saying he's going to be Patrick Mahomes. You know, I, I, I can't say that Josh Allen, you know, uh, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, all this stuff. But I do know one thing, you know, Daniel Jones won a playoff game last year and then everyone quickly talks about how bad the Vikings were, but he still went on the road and played an unbelievable game from the quarterback position. You know, how does that not count? It's almost like, he just gets dismissed as, as to everything that he does. And everyone wants to go back to the long run on which he tripped over his own feet in Philly and, you know, things that he's done uh, that people like to go back to. But, um, you know, look, I, I think there's a very good chance Daniel Jones finishes as a top 10 quarterback in this, in this league this year. Uh, I think he has an opportunity to make people uh, eat their words, even though they probably won't. And, the first interception he throws, it's going to be, see, same Daniel, Daniel Jones. Can't believe they gave him $40 million a year. Uh, but I, I think I think this is the right coaching staff. This is the right combination uh, for Jones to kind of play his best this year. Um, he, he, he looks very good, looks decisive. Uh, again, it's only in, in the summer. But uh, I think on opening night against the Cowboys, there's an opportunity for Daniel Jones uh, to open a lot of eyes and kind of take that – you know, I don't want to say he'll take the step that Eli Manning took in 2011 when he had that famous interview uh, in which he said, you know, I think I am an elite quarterback. I'm in Tom Brady's class. And then he went out and won the Super Bowl. Um, and he was not carried. Let's just say that he was not carried by that defense that year. Eli Manning was the reason they won the Super Bowl. He was unbelievable in big games in the fourth quarters and, you know, in the playoffs. Who could forget Eli's game against the 49ers in the championship game in the NFC Championship? Um, but that's kind of where Daniel Jones is at right now. So I answer my own question. What does Daniel Jones have to do to get respect? Well, Eli Manning won two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs, and he still is a punching bag by many. So probably nothing. It's just probably part of the idea that, you know, you're not – you're not that cool guy. You're not Joe Burrow. So you're not going to get that, that love from, from anybody. You still don't even get it all from the fan base. So we'll see what, what Daniel Jones has to do. I think if he plays a clean season, 
uh, I think that that more Giants fans will embrace him uh, as their guy. Yeah, I mean, we're um, thanks for that, Art. We're big believers in Daniel Jones, and we're also massive believers and big believers in what Joshi and Brian Dables managed to sort of um, put around him as well. Well, you know, helping to invest in the old line and also give him some more weapons. I know Darren Waller is that considered that number one weapon, but also the wide receivers. Um, we all th- thought. They were like really smart additions without going out and breaking the bank. They've all got a lot to prove, and you know we, we think they'll do it this year. But just to bring it back uh, to sort of current events now, we're going to talk a little bit about training camp. So um, there's a few intriguing battles going on during training camp, and I know in your latest um, podcast, you know, All In with Art Stapleton, you actually talked about some of these battles. Um, but the linebacker position next to Bobby Okereke, and the safety position opposite McKinney, and also the nickel spot. Like for our listeners and viewers who haven't uh, listened to your podcast this week, um, who do you think um, wins out in these battles particularly? Well, let's go in in order uh, with what you were saying. We'll go inside linebacker first, next to Okereke. Uh I think Darian Beavers will win that job. He was coming on last year as a rookie, really flashed. Uh, is kind of that versatile piece. He was on that Cincinnati team in college with Sauce Gardner. Uh, and several other, you know, guys who were drafted in in the NFL, uh, and he he got hurt. I think it was in the second preseason game, uh, tore his ACL, and he's had to work the entire season. I think Wink Martindale likes his versatility in that spot. Uh, I do think that they'll be playing a lot of sub packages uh, with multiple DBs and probably one linebacker, and and in that case, it'll probably be brought Bobby Okereke. But I think in in base sets, I think. Beavers will have an advantage over McFadden, Micah McFadden. Um, move to safety next to Xavier McKinney. Uh, Mr. Mr. Viral, Mr. Worldwide, Jason Pinnock with that interception, that one, one-handed windmill interception in front of Waller that ended practice the other day. Uh, I think, uh, you know, when I've used this line before and I've said it on my podcast that when Julian Love signed with the Seahawks, uh, I was told by by people asking around, you know, what will they do now next to McKinney? And I was told they love JP. They like JP, Jason Pinnock. So I uh, came over from the Jets last year. I think he felt like he was pigeonholed uh, into a special teams only player. Didn't really get a chance to, to spread his wings defensively. Uh, he did with the Giants. And I think uh, there's a lot to like there uh, for him. Uh, I do think that Dane Belton and to a lesser extent, maybe Bobby McCain will have roles. Uh, but I do think it's, it's Pinnock uh, and McKinney if they're in their straight base defense. Uh, the slot cornerback position is very interesting. Uh, the other day we saw rookie uh, Trey Hawkins, the third sixth round pick from old dominion get snaps on the outside opposite Deontay banks. Uh, and uh, Adoree Jackson moved and took some snaps in the slot. I think that might be something that they look look at for opening night uh, with C.D. Lamb and the Cowboys running a lot of his routes out of the slot. You might want to have Adoree on him rather than uh, Darnay Holmes or Cordell Flott, uh, who's another second-year player that they're very high on. Uh, but if it's a straight defense, and I don't think Hawkins will kick inside. So I think if Hawkins is playing, he's on the boundary. He's not going to replace Banks or Jackson, but he could be in multiple packages. Uh, I think Flott is the guy in the slot. I think Darnay Holmes, uh, it's kind of an inside football thing, but similar to what happened with Darius Slayton last year. 
uh, his contract through, you know, the bonuses that they get for play, for high percentage of, of playing time as rookies, it's built into the CBA. Uh, and Holmes's salary cap hit is up over $2 million. So, uh, you know, that kind of puts a target on his back. Not that the Giants are looking to pinch pennies uh, and make cuts like they did last year. Uh, but if Holmes does not win that job and he doesn't have a role on special teams, uh, you can definitely see him being on the bubble uh, come Labor Day weekend when they make those cuts, those final cuts. So those would be my three guys, the leaders, leaders right now, um, six practices into camp. It would be Beavers at linebacker next to Okereke, uh, Pinnock at safety, and Flott in the slot until they decide to move Adori in for special circumstances. Then I think it would be Hawkins on the outside. Again, we're only talking a week, uh, but Hawkins has looked very good. Um, you know, and I think he's opened some eyes that maybe a sixth rounder from Old Dominion is, is a steal at this point. Yeah, just talking about Trey Hawkins, you know, we've all um, seen some of the clips and stuff and hearing really good chatter coming out about how well he's sort of adjusting and how well he's playing. Um, but we haven't heard too much about the other late round draft picks. Have you heard anything about how Eric Gray's getting on, Jordan Riley and uh, Javarius Owens and those players? Jordan Riley, the pads went on uh, last night, Tuesday night, and... Um, you know, he was out there a little bit, you know, I think they were working him in rotation with the twos, uh, you know, saw him out there a little bit. I think it's a little bit of a work in progress there. Um, when it comes to, uh, Javarius Owens, uh, he caught friendly fire on the first day of camp. They had a crossing route, uh, in the end zone and he got banged up a little bit. So he missed the, he missed, I think day two and day three, uh, and then we had an off day. So he's still working back to try to get back into uh, the rotation. You know, that's hard to do. As I mentioned at the safety spot where they have some depth there, uh, the two guys who are not running with the starters are the pairing for the second team. So now Gio has to try to break his way in. Um, he's one of those guys that has to perform on special teams and we'll see how he moves in, in the preseason to be able to get that. Uh, Eric Gray is an interesting one. Uh, Love the way he ran last night in the padded practice. Uh, again, he's running, you know, he gets some snaps with the ones. He's with the twos. He's with the threes. I think next week, uh, and to give, give my buddy Tom Rock of Newsday credit, he said this to me yesterday, next Friday night in Detroit, you're going to be watching that preseason game. And Eric Gray is going to have, you know, 10 carries, 85 yards, in the game and he's going to be the guy that everyone's going to want to talk about uh, because, you know, the fifth rounder really hasn't, you know, he's not taking a spotlight in practice, uh, made a heck of a catch out of the backfield. He, he could be that receiving option um, in this offense out of the backfield. Now we know Saquon is Saquon and Matt Breda has a role, um, but it wouldn't be surprising to me to see Gray uh, kind of push Breda a little bit for being that, um, that receiving option. The only thing we don't know, at least I don't know until we get into games is how is gray and pass protection. You know, that'll be the big difference. Matt Breda is a very good, uh, he's very good in pass protection. Uh, so he's kind of a valued player there in the backfield. So I think gray would have to beat out Breda, uh, in order to be that, that second guy in the backfield could happen by mid season, um, I'd be surprised if it happens early, but I definitely think Gray has an opportunity. And uh, he was on kickoffs, Gray, on uh, 
I guess it was last night. So he returned some kickoffs, and it would not surprise me if he's on the 53 and he's on the game day roster that maybe he's an option to be that kickoff returner, and he has returned some punts. So maybe they give him an opportunity to become the return man. We know the Giants haven't had one since uh, Dwayne Harris and then before that, Dominic Hickson. Uh, so they, they really you know have lacked a spark there. I wonder if Gray could develop into that kind of role early on uh, for this team. Yeah, as long as it's not a Dory Jackson, right? We don't want him back there fielding puns. <laughs> no but, doubt, uh, <laughs> no doubt. I think the Giants, the uh, the Seahorn uh, curse rears its ugly head time and again for the Giants. So I think there, uh, there are a lot of fans who are nervous if it's somebody they consider of value in other spots on the team, uh, getting back there for some return options. Yeah, I mean, um, myself and Shane, we, we try to cover a lot of the draft and watch a lot of the prospects as they come in. And we were very high on Eric Gray, and we both said that we think, you know, he's got the potential to win that starting job halfway through the season. But we just thought this also, like, his change of direction is phenomenal. He might not be a burner and a speedster the way Breed is, but just in the sh- uh, short yardages and small confined spaces, his change of direction is very good. He's able to pick up the extra yards. So we're very high on um, Eric Gray. Um, like you said before as well, the pads did go on yesterday. Um, for the first time at camp. A lot of eyes have been on the O-line and D-line drills. Now, we're just wondering, how did uh, John Michael Schmitz fare against the interior? And he's going up against some formidable opponents there. Um, has he looked good so far? And do you think he pretty much, you know, all being well, should be kneeled on to be number one starter come um, the Dallas game? Yeah, I think he will be be the starter in that situation. Um, you know, it, it's play strength, you know. And look, the first snap, that he took in one-on-ones was against Dexter Lawrence and Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach said back in the spring, you know, it's all well and good how you think a guy can do, let him put the ball down, look up and see 97 staring at him and then see how he handles things. And the first snap was exactly how you would expect. Dexter Lawrence just blew him up, (laughs) knocked him back about 15 yards. Uh, Then the next one, the one-on-one Schmitz kind of held his own a little bit. Um, and then in team drills, Schmitz snapped one over Daniel Jones's head. Uh, the first, I think it was the first or second play. And you could see Dexter Lawrence, I, I use the, the term snarling. Uh, you could see that he was just dug in right in front of John Michael Schmitz. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that Schmitz was nervous, but he certainly uh, was affected in that situation. Uh, did not have a bad snap the rest of the rest of the night on Tuesday night, it'll be interesting to see his evolution now, now that he's seen ultimately the best, you know, I mean, you want to put Aaron Donald aside. We're not sure where he is in terms of his career, Donald, but Dexter Lawrence is as intimidating and dominant as any inside player in the league uh, when he's on. And he was on a lot last year. Um, And I think he'll learn from these battles with Lawrence. And I think the giants love the idea that they can test their rookie center with one of the best players in the league and they can trust them to not do anything stupid. You know, you're not going to get to a point where you're, you know, you're, you're really roughing a kid up. Uh, but I think Lawrence is a good test for, for a JMS. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent agree. Um, so looking at the overall roster, 90 man roster at the moment, um, we've all talked about it in previous podcasts that we think we've actually started to get some decent depth at a lot, a lot of positions, some depth that we haven't had for a long, long time. Um, so in your opinion, like looking at the roster right now, what do you think is the biggest strengths of it and also the biggest weaknesses? 
I think the the elite players, the difference making players on this roster are it's a deeper collection of those players. They have more game changers on this team right now than they have really going back a ways. Um, you know, even when Odell was the you know the top playmaker here, um, there really wasn't, you know, that was the year that that JPP was injured and all that stuff. I, I think you have an opportunity here to have 10 guys who can change a game if they play up to their potential. Uh, and that's disclude, you know, it, you want to include Daniel Jones being on top of that. I think you, you, you would say that. Um, so I think that's probably the best thing I can give to this team is that they not only added depth, but they added depth in, in players that can change games. Uh, so it remains to be seen. Uh, some of the younger players need to take that leap. You know, but if Kayvon Thibodeau can become the player that we saw at his best last year, which was the Washington game uh, in prime time, if he can play like that and bottle that up, now you're talking about teams going to have to look at Dexter and Kayvon and a healthy Leonard Williams. Uh, and I think that's kind of where they're at. I think the biggest, the biggest weakness, I guess, is – you're still unsure of what the interior of the offensive line will look like. You know, we, we have, you know, we, we think John Michael Schmitz will be a good player. We, you don't know if a rookie is going to come in and, and be a, a solid player, especially against the teams that he's going to see in this division. You know, Giants were 0-5 against Dallas and Philly. One of the reasons they were 0-5 is that that interior – line defensively of the Eagles just dominates opponents. They wear on you, you know, Fletcher Cox, the guys on the edge, you know, now you have Jordan Davis, you know, they have guys that they're going to roll in and out. So uh, that would probably be my biggest weakness. Uh, I think Deontay Banks is going to be good at, at the second corner spot. So I'm not necessarily worried about, you know, the, the starting corners. I think they'll be okay there. Um, you know, obviously if somebody got hurt, now you're talking about, you know, injuries can change the complexion of this roster. And as much as they're deeper than last year, I think they're deeper in spots. I, I don't think they could handle losing these elite players. They need their best players to change games uh, in order to win games this year. And they got that last year. I mean, you have to look up and down the Jacksonville, Baltimore, uh, the Green Bay game. You know, there are guys that, that, made big plays for this team. And those are the ones that are getting paid to do so. And they need to be those guys. And I think that's kind of where I'm looking at it as, you know, positives and negatives as far as the roster goes. So just one quick last one for me. Um, players like Williams, Leo Williams and Adore Jackson, do you think that they are in sort of an audition for a new contract this, in this final year of their deals? I think it's wide open at this point. Uh, I, think, I think the Giants you know, value Leonard Williams. Uh, I think um, if he's healthy and again, neck issues are, are difficult, you know, we're not sure how his neck is going to respond week one when he starts getting banged around by the Cowboys. You know, it's something that, you know, he admitted last year was really a nagging thing that bothered him all year. I think that's one of the reasons why the giants haven't even uh, looked into seriously to getting Leonard Williams to agree to a new contract to lower his cap number this year to extend him a little bit. 
It's not that they don't think he's a good player. I think they trust Andre Patterson, who's the defensive line coach, and Patterson has nothing but good things to say about Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams playing together. So, And he's only 28. So, I mean, Leonard mm. Williams, it's not like he's 34 and all of a sudden you're saying he's on his last legs in this league. Um, so if he proves to be healthy, I could see Leonard Williams re-signed here. Um, the thing on the back end with Dory, you know, look, corners are going to make big money. And uh, at this point, if Adore has a big time year, and if again they're all ifs, if Trey Hawkins is coming on and he's a sixth round pick, and all of a sudden you can look to next year and say, okay, you've got Banks on one side, Hawkins on the other, and Flot at slot. Well, now of course you're looking at okay, where does Adore fit? So um, if I had a guess right now, I think Leonard Williams has a better chance of getting a bigger contract next year than um, Adore Jackson. Uh, but both, um, I think they have to both play well and the Giants have to do well as a team with them, a big part of it, to make Joe Shane and the front office and the coaching staff look at it and say, we can't afford to let these guys go. I think they have some young guys that they really like to see blossom a little bit. Uh, and that will really decide the fate of where Leonard is and where Dory is. Um, but like I said, I think – the depth that defensive line is probably it probably helps Leonard Williams um, more than maybe a Dory is being helped uh, this season. Even though premier position, you know, you, you always want a premier corner. Uh, that's a premium position, but <clears throat> I don't think uh, I don't think right now anything that they're going to be determined one way or the other whether they're here or not next year. And of course, there's always the tag. <laughs> that's true well it comes back to the running back and of course xavier mckinney too is going to be up for a contract next year so we'll see you know, he's another guy who really has to play well this year uh to to kind of reward the faith that the giants fan base and people in the building think he can be you know they're i don't know if xavier mckinney's reputation around the league is is as high as what it is inside the building so when that comes to negotiating I don't know if that helps him. I think the Giants may look to get him on the cheap earlier rather than later this year. You know, he's maybe he's one of those bye week guys that if he's playing playing well, you want to get him early uh, because if he hits the market after a big year, you might not want to pay safety that money. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, we all rate McKinney pretty highly on this uh, on this podcast. So uh, it's same it's here. A shame he he's a good player. It's a shame he doesn't get the recognition around the league that he deserves because uh, he's he's definitely turned into a, a top top player. Um, yep. Now, obviously, we've kept you on for just over an hour, <laughs> um, so we don't want to keep you up too much longer. Um, would it be cool to ask you just a few sort of little quick fire questions just to round out the the podcast this evening? Uh, sure, go ahead. Yeah, cool. All right. So first up, um, outside of the Giants, obviously, uh, favorite sports team? Uh, New York Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> just a just a shame they suck at the moment, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Season's over. We're uh, on to twenty twenty four. Hundred percent. Number two, then favorite stadium apart from MetLife. Um, I was in SoFi. That was great. Uh, Baltimore, the Ravens Stadium has a great sight line, and uh, I know Giants fans don't want to hear it, but. There's nothing like Jerry World in uh, in Arlington, Texas. You know, you drive up, you think it's a, a spaceship that we're being taken over by aliens. Uh, 
So those would be my top three. I'm very much looking forward to going to the stadium in Vegas, the Death Star, to see uh, to see what what they got going in there. I hear that I hear it's great. So that would be my my uh, my group. Nice the uh, the Eli Madden Stadium, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, your least favorite stadium then? Uh, RF uh, RFK uh, FedEx Field in in Landover, uh, Washington's. You know, maybe they make improvements. Maybe they get a new stadium with the new ownership group there. But Daniel Snyder did whatever he could to kind of squeeze everyone. And if you haven't seen the photos and videos that we put up every time we get to the press box there, you know, they got windows with panels that block your sight lines. We're in the end zone, the press box. Who thought of putting a press box in the end zone? Uh, and it's it's brutal. That, that, that stadium is brutal. I think everyone says the same about, about – um... FedEx Field, I think it's 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 awful. Uh, which stadium has your favorite catering option? <laughs> Got to go back to Jerry Jones and and the Cowboys. That stadium is great. Uh, they their food is phenomenal. We were there for Thanksgiving last year. It was uh, other than my my wife's cooking here for Thanksgiving, which is top notch. I'd say Jerry's Thanksgiving is uh, is number two behind it. It was great. Everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, favorite game you've attended as either a fan or a journalist? Um, most memorable game is the NFC Championship game when Eli got pummeled um, and they ended up winning. Uh, I remember standing in the hallway uh, opposite the late Judy Coughlin. She was waiting for Tom to come out uh, after they won that game. Um knowing that I made the wrong turn out of the locker room. I went to the interview room rather than going outside by the buses. And I missed Peyton Manning and Eli Manning talking outside the buses, going to the Super Bowl. That was probably the most memorable. Um, as far as the best game I've covered ever, um, probably would have to be Super Bowl, Super Bowl 46, just based on uh, what I've seen as far as Giants related. I had my opportunity to cover a lot of Super Bowls. I was there for the Malcolm Butler game. I was there for 28-3. So I got to cover some some pretty exciting Super Bowls uh, as well outside of the Giants. Pinnacle of your career, right? Um, So which is the biggest, which is the the biggest spectacle in your opinion? Um, Obviously, you you mentioned about obviously UMass, um, obviously big college basketball team. So you got the Final Four, you got the NBA Finals, World Series or the Super Bowl, which is like the biggest um, in your in your eyes? Well, in the in the night the late nineties when the Yankees were in the World Series as a fan, there was nothing like it. Um, but I, I don't know if you can match the Super Bowl, knowing the amount of eyes that are on it worldwide, and knowing what it means, and when you're that involved in a sport you kind of always see your championship game as the most important. So that, that would be, uh, that would be my answer. I don't, I don't know if anything compares to the Super Bowl. No, I don't think it does. And last one, um, if you could choose three dinner guests from anyone alive or dead, <laughs> who would they be and why? <laughs> well, boy, this is a tough one. Are we excluding family? Uh, you want me to be, yeah. want to have fun, right? And exclude family. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'll exclude family. Um, let's see. It's a, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one. I, I never really gave thought of it. Um, 
I'll say Michael Jordan because that was he was always my my favorite. Um, Derek Jeter, and uh, let's see, one more. That's a tough one. You know what? I'll 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 spice it up a little bit and I'll say uh, Bill Clinton. So Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, and Bill Clinton. To be fair, I'd love to be around that table for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Even just to, just to meet the captain, you know. But the other two would be cool as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Art, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Um, you know, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule and having uh, having to speak to us for the sort of last hour or so on your day on your on your day off. Um, but just for our listeners and viewers' benefit, where can they find your work if they don't already follow you? You can follow me on, on, you can get all my coverage at NorthJersey.com. We're starting up a a newsletter next week. That'll be kind of our go-to place for uh, everything we do, Giants, the podcast, all the coverage, all the stories. Uh, You can get that at NorthJersey.com slash all in, which is the name of my podcast. And uh, you can check out my podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We're also on YouTube, starting to try to pick that traffic up. That's all in with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast. Awesome. I think uh, producer Craig, we've already uh, got that subscription to the newsletter going, haven't we? We have indeed. (laughs) There we go. Um, We will be over in November for the uh, the Patriots game over Thanksgiving weekend. Um, So, you know, I know it's going to be pretty pretty a hectic weekend for you, but at some point it will be over that week. It would be great to to meet up with you in person just to say hey and... uh, and again, pass on our thanks for coming on this evening. Absolutely. You um, guys hit me up. That'd be great. Awesome. We will absolutely do that for sure. And as I said earlier, you know, we really do appreciate you taking the time out. Um, so we're going to let you go off and uh, enjoy the rest of your day off. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could, Like Craig said, we, I could sit here listening to you talk <laughs> all things giants for hours and hours and hours on end but um you know it, it, it's the first time i've had you on but it definitely won't be the last time i have you on the podcast and um you know we'd love to come and join you on your podcast as well at some point so if you ever want someone from the uk on your show hit us up and let us know and we'll uh we'll come on for sure but that'd really be appreciate awesome your time and thank you. that'd be awesome thanks guys have a good season you too thank yeah, you yeah you too man Cavs in the spotlight. There we go. Alrighty. Um, there we go. How was that? Never... I mean, like I said, you could sit there listening to the man for hours. But unfortunately, Giants fans, that is all we have time for this week. Um, we'll be back next week, Wednesday evenings, 8.30, as usual, to dive into our cornerback depth chart to round out our breakdown of the 2023 roster. Um, so make sure you tune into that because that will be an exciting episode almost always as well. Um, anything else to add before we go, gents? I mean, no, I mean, just um, so good to have our daughters. Absolutely. Some great insight there. And like I said, you can listen to them talk about Giants all day long. Um, you know, it's good to hear, you know, some of the views that we've also expressed in this podcast in the past ourselves, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just great to have them on and... Um, I'll tell you what, I cannot wait for this first preseason game. I know it's going to be a lot of backups. It's only a week Friday now, but um, it's Giants football. And we can see some of these ca- the battles that have been on in camp to see how these players get on on the field. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the spotlight is always on the big stars, but we want to know what the backups are going to be like. You know, Art spoke there about players like Eric Gray. We brought up um, Owens. We brought up Riley. They're the players who are really going to have to stand out in these games and they're the ones that we're going to be looking at. So, um, and it'd be nice to kind of get into the flow of, you know, reviews and previews again after after so long of, of just talking about whatever we kind of think up on the on the day a few days before. So I am very much looking forward to it. But um, a massive thank you to Art for coming on. Um, you know, the, the stars aligned with our schedules and and his he had a day off today. And, and we really do appreciate him coming on for the uh, the time that he, he did and, and gave us longer than, than we um, we said as well. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, echo everything you said, man. And it, it, like it, it was quite a last-minute confirmation that he was coming on this evening. So hence why we've uh, pushed cornerbacks to next week. But now, a joy and a pleasure to have him on this evening. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed it too, listeners and viewers. So let us know what you think. Uh, let us know if you, if you want more guests on the pod. Um, we we'll try our very very best to get some uh, some more guests coming up in the in the near future as well. Uh, remember to subscribe to that YouTube channel, hit the bell to get the latest updates and notifications. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Big Blue UK and Ireland, and you can get in touch with us either via any of those social platforms or email address as well. Big Blue UK IRL at gmail.com. We are part of the Full Ten Yards Network. Check out the site fullteenyards.co.uk forward slash giants and lastly we are all part of the new york giants fans uk group so give them a follow too they're on facebook twitter and instagram go say hey to the guys and i believe they're on threads now as well so if you're on threads give them a follow on there as well um kev craig my thanks as ever go to you both and to art as again for joining me and to you the listeners and viewers for tuning in we're signing off till next time <laughs>